Jess. And I'm Tiff. And we're your Curious Cousins. Where we talk about everything kooky and spooky in the state of Oklahoma. Welcome to episode 39. I lost count. I didn't even know which one it was. I, I feel like it it's. I feel like it's been a while. But I looked it up when I was typing up my notes today. 39. Yay. Who knew? We made it. We we're almost <laughs> to our 40s. <laughs> Woo. If you hear in the background, it sounds like there's a water feature. That's because my um, turtle habitat is home for the summer from my classroom. <laughs> and um, they have to share the pod lab with us. So shout out to Gus and Nugget. <laughs> my two little turtles that are currently sitting on top of each other. They're actually getting along. Yes, for now. For now. So please excuse the sound quality that is happening that is happening no we are not by a babbling brook but the habitat makes you think we are <laughs> we're trying to get distracted by yeah we're, we might have to put a curtain around them. i know right how are you i'm good 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 just go back from houston last week yeah i did yes yes <laughs> saying goodbye to our some of our favorite listeners even mm-hmm. though they'll be listeners internationally now yeah so, so. As if you guys didn't know, my brother's moving. His family's moving to the Netherlands. Yes. So. Yes. Bittersweet. It is. It is. But maybe they could uh, provide a little Oklahoma history. Yeah. There. Um, and, you know, we'll go visit, of course. Yes, it'll so. be so much fun. I'm excited <laughs> to think about it. Yeah. So. How are you? Um, good. Uh, we were supposed to record yesterday, but I went to the optometrist. Yes. And they did all sorts of testing on my eyes because apparently I am old now. Oh, man. And I'm scared to go. I have always prided myself with my stellar perfect eye vision. Uh-huh. And, of course, the older I get, the less and less sharp it becomes. And um, yesterday, you know, I went through all the regular tests, feeling mm-hmm. good. You know, of course, I can't read the very smallest line far away anymore. Uh-huh. I got to read the second line now, the second smallest. <laughs> And uh, come to find out that uh, there's a possibility I have early onset cataracts. Oh, man. <laughs> I didn't know people my age could get that. Um, but they believe it's due to nasal spray usage because I have wonderful Oklahoma allergies. Uh-huh. Obviously, I have to cease using nasal spray and we'll just kind of monitor it because it's not really impeding mm-hmm. my sight at all. Obviously, cataracts can be removed, but I... Never, ever thought in a million years I'd ever be having eyesight surgery or eye surgery. Mm-hmm. So, um, yeah. So, But I'm good. I'm good. It's still scary. Yeah. And I'm having to wear glasses more than I have ever worn in my life, which kind of does not make me happy. But Because <laughs> um, it's really weird to, like, go from being able to see to not being able to see. I can't relate. And that's, I know. That's Chris was just like. and I've friend, had glasses since I was, like, eight I years know. old. Well, and, like, my friend Gwen was like, you can read that that bottom line I'm like yeah, I can and she goes I've never in my life been able to read the bottom line and I was yeah, like oh I go well I've never in my life not been able to read it it's really <laughs> disconcerting but so yeah <sighs> age it's great yeah love it I know other than that I don't know that we really have any news oh you know what we need to talk about yeah I do our true crime fest I know our true crime fest we've had people wanting to hear about it we hope that you guys enjoyed our episode last week um, with the sirens I don't know what that was 
Raven. She put it on. We got to talk to Raven about mm-hmm. some Oklahoma witchcraft. Yes. Um, it, and if you are really at that stuff really interests you, we encourage you to go over to the Sirens Network and continue on because that was just really kind of part one or part yeah, two. I can't remember. I think remember. that was like the first segment. Segment. Or supposed to be like the, yes. one of the first segments of it. So um, you guys go and check that out. And we mm-hmm. did another collab with her a few weeks ago now. And so we'll have another episode coming out with them soon. Yeah, I'm not sure when. I don't remember either. So keep looking for that. We really appreciate everything that – Raven and Mandy have done for us. Yes, we love them. Um, we love them both so much. And yeah, the True Crime Fest. Yeah. I had so much fun. How about you? I did. I did. It, um, we met a lot of great people. We did meet a lot of neat people. Yes. And um, shout out to Murder and Mimosas because yes. they said we looked cute in our t-shirts. <laughs> <laughs> and she was so kind. She was very kind. I mean, everybody we met really was really kind uh-huh. and supportive and... Like, we're so interested in well, what's what we Well, what's funny, do. once they heard we were an Oklahoma podcast, they were like, oh, we should talk to you. I know. they all. <laughs> so we made some really great connections. We met two great authors. Mm-hmm. Um, one based here in Tulsa. Like, she lives here in Tulsa. Yeah. And so we're totally going to need to be getting her on the show talking sure. about the murder of her cousin. Yeah. And it was so, so cool. And then. The other author who wrote about the Arkansas hitchhiker killer. I, I, which I didn't even know. I was didn't a either. Thing. But you know, there's speculation that he did kill into Oklahoma yeah, as well. So a lot of great, great things. And mm-hmm. then we got to meet just some other cool podcasts and yeah. got to listen to um, a couple podcasts present. And it was just a great experience for mm-hmm. us, just kind of getting our name out there, I feel like, mm-hmm. and uh, putting a face to us and putting yeah. a face to the other podcasts that we like to listen yeah, to. that's true. I look forward to uh, potentially getting something like that in Oklahoma started. Oh, yeah. I think, I think in Oklahoma that would just be um, – not that it wasn't beneficial for us in Arkansas, mm-hmm. but at least in Oklahoma we can – relate a little more right and I wonder if I don't know if that's the right yeah no I think so I get what you're saying yeah um something that I picked up while we were there Mm -hmm. is there is an Arkansas podcasting network yes and I don't know that there's one in Oklahoma yet I don't know but I did notice that there are several Facebook pages that are devoted to that and we have started to become members of those Mm -hmm. and so it would be just cool if at some point we can all just get together I know that we already have (laughs) guys we (laughs) have this group message <laughs> with um, some of our favorite podcasts, including The Sirens and You're Doing Fine, Oklahoma, and Mystery Loves Company, and mm-hmm. Erioki. I mean, we have our own group name, too. <laughs> We're called The Starlings. <laughs> but we do, and we, you know, we do have where we kind of share ideas and bounce stuff off of each other mm-hmm. and uh we just like support each other which i yeah. think is fantastic and we're yeah. all women owned and uh-huh. oklahomans well and so. hopefully we can all meet up sometime yes. too because yes. i think that would be really i fun. really am now that my schedule's kind of freed up need to plan a tunnels tour here in tulsa oh, so just bad. for us just for us podcasters and um yeah just to do that it'd be so much fun so you ready for some true crime i am I'm doing a very well-known case today, and I think it's only going to be one part. Okay. A lot of other podcasts have covered it. Okay. A lot. Uh, it is It is very famous. It is nationally famous. 
when I say this name, everybody will definitely know who I'm talking about. Okay. And I am covering Patrick Henry Sherrill. Oh, yeah. So. Oh, yeah. I did not know a lot about him. Mm-hmm. I definitely did not know any of his background. And I really did dive deep into a lot of his background. But um, I did not know a lot of this stuff about him. Granted, you know, his crime happened when I was three years old. Mm-hmm. And I don't even know that we were living in Oklahoma at the time. We may mm. have still been in North Carolina. It's just, it's crazy. A lot of the people affected by the massacre, mm-hmm. I mean, to say the least, the massacre that he, a rampage he went on, a lot of those people are still alive. Right. Most of the people are still alive who were um, able to live through it. Oh. So I did check his Murderpedia file and Wikipedia. Oklahoma Historical Society had a whole Whoa. article of him. And of course, the deep dive into my favorite newspaper.com over. And not only the Daily Oklahoman covered him, like it was nationwide news. Wow. So um, I got lots of things from the uh, Chicago Tribune and the LA Times, the New York Times. So mm-hmm. big newspapers. All over. Yeah. So we'll start off with Patrick Henry Sherrill. He was born November 13th, 1941 in Watonga, Oklahoma, and died August 20th, 1986 in Edmond. He was born and raised in Watonga. He had an older brother and a sister who I still believe are both living, so I did not mention any of their names. Okay. His parents owned a farm and a cafe there in Watonga. And about the mid-1950s, though, the family sold the farm and the cafe and decided to move to Oklahoma City where Cheryl, he then enrolled at Harding High School. Okay. So at this point, he was in high school. Mm-hmm. He was described as taller than most of his peers, very muscular and athletic. Uh, he lettered in football and wrestling and track and field. Uh, he barely made passable grades, but he was normal and didn't cause any trouble. Just kind of your all-American kid next door. Yeah, average kid. During these teen years at Harding, uh, Cheryl's father did pass away. Um, it was at this time there was a family, there was a secret or a rumor that went around that there was a family secret regarding his dad, uh, something along the lines that his dad suffered from a mental illness. It didn't oh. mention which mental illness, but that he had one. Well, of course, right back then, you know, that's Ooh. like something you oh, never God. talked yeah. about. No, no, no. And uh, uh, it was reported that uh, Cheryl had told a friend that he was, quote, never going to get married and pass the bad genes on. Oh, I don't know that there was any proof that he ever said that besides Uh maybe just a friend saying that he had said that at one time. So, but I don't know if there's any reason why his friend would lie about that. So (laughs) he did graduate from Harding High School in 1951 and enrolled at the University of Oklahoma on a wrestling scholarship. However, he ended up dropping out in 1960. And for a period of four years, there wasn't really anything going on with him. And in 1964, he enlisted in the United States Marine Corps. He qualified as an expert with an M14 rifle. Um, This is kind of the first time that we see little blimps on the radar of Cheryl kind of resisting people with authority. Mm. So keep that in mind this whole time. Um, He did tell people that he had spent time in Vietnam. However, most of his tours were at Camp Lejeune in North Carolina. I don't know that he spent a lot of time in Vietnam or even had much combat mm-hmm. combat yeah. in, oh, in Vietnam, but um, he did tell people that. He did drop down from being an expert to simply being a marksman in his rifle, which is kind of odd. Like He mm-hmm. lost the skill, but upon dropping down, he ended up becoming an expert with a pistol. Huh. And 
I just I want to point out that his ability to fire a firearm, he was very lethal. He was yeah. very, very well trained. Right. Cheryl only seemed to earn badges or honors in the Marine Corps with firearms and some good behavior. Not anything else. That yeah. was like not, you know, rescuing anybody or, you know, anything. Yeah. I, I don't know. Heroic's not really the right word. To yeah, use, I get but, what you're meaning. Yeah. But yeah. In 1966, Cheryl received his letter of discharge under honorable conditions. This is different from an honorable discharge. It's Mm -hmm. kind of like a step down. I guess there's different levels. I mean, obviously, there's different levels of discharge Uh you can have. James, hit us up. (laughs) Right. right. So I know, like, I believe James and, like, my father Uh had honorable discharges. Right. And he had an honorable condition type of Mm. discharge so i'm not really sure if i've ever heard of honorable condition i hadn't either and shame on me for not contacting my dad yeah your dad my brother 22 years in the marine corps so and in in my mind that's like another red flag like oh he's an expert in rifle he's Uh starting to resist authority and he didn't get an honorable discharge he had honorable conditions this is a hindsight is 2020 you'll probably hear me say that a thousand times but this seems very suspicious to me in 1967, he uh, Cheryl enrolled at Central State, which is now UCO. Mm-hmm. He seemed directionless, though. Like, he couldn't decide on a major. He dropped out of many classes. And the classes that he was able to complete, mm-hmm. eh, grades were kind of passable. Mediocre. Yeah. Uh, in 1970, he dropped out completely again and decided he was just going to move back home with his mom in Oklahoma City. Friends reported this time that he seemed to have like a short fuse and they often witnessed him just yelling at his mother. Oh. His employment was off and on, typically off. Uh-huh. Um, just kind of living off of his mom at this point. He went to join the Oklahoma Air National Guard. However, many working at the facility thought he was just guard bumming. And I didn't know what that meant. And um, so when I looked it up, it was kind of like just hanging out at the guard base, trying to maybe like act like you were one of them. Ah, a poser. There you go. There you go. (laughs) It was quoted. This was quoted from a female civilian employee of the 219th EI squadron who had encountered Cheryl several times while he was attempting to enlist. Uh Uh-huh. And then she also, afterwards, she would kind of come in contact with him. She formed some distinct ideas about him later saying, I just got the impression, you know, he's a weird guy. He always struck me as one of those men that, you know, peeped in windows and molested little kids. Now I'm not, there's never been any reports of him molesting children. Yeah. Peeping in windows. Yes. Molesting children. No. It's still like a harsh thing to say. Right. I mean, like that's still a harsh. um... Right. When she was asked, like, what gave her that rep- uh-huh. that impression, she replied, just his mannerisms, the way he would look. He's the first man ever in my life, and I have dealt with men all my life and worked with them, that I felt like I was nude standing there talking to him oh. or sitting there. She commented that she had told her male associates, don't leave me in the building by myself with him. Wow. And, Ooh. you know, as a woman and you as a woman, uh-huh. we are told to trust those instincts. Yeah. And if she got that from yeah. being around him, I would definitely, I'd have been with her. I'd have trusted my instincts. Don't leave me alone when those building with him. Yeah. Her creep radar was up. I was, yeah, I was going off. Um, after several attempts at gaining employee employment with the National Guard, Cheryl actually landed a job as a civilian maintenance employee with Tinker Air Force Base. That's there in Midwest City. In 1977, Cheryl's mother 
she becomes just racked with Alzheimer's disease. Mm. She is then unable to care for the home or herself. Thus, she has to move into a nursing home. Mm-hmm. Rough disease. Right, right. She was known for her tidiness and her cleanliness of her home and her yard. However, with her out of the home, Cheryl was allowed to be allowed it to become very cluttered and dirty. Sounds like our grandmother. <laughs> I mean, like like the the tidy oh, and yeah, the yeah, yard. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. Not the not the dirty and no, cluttered. not the dirty. No, no. <laughs> you could probably at one time eat off of her floor. Oh yeah. <laughs> um, this is where Cheryl's real love of ham radio seems to uptick. Um, the house was just cluttered with radio equipment and parts. Even the yard was. But I can see your face. Well, I'm thinking of the Incredibles when they're sitting in the oh. car listening to the oh, ham radio okay. for the rescue. Ham radio. I didn't know what a ham radio was. Well, isn't that what it is? I like, don't know. Well, I had to look it up. This is what this is my definition okay. of what a ham radio is. It is an amateur radio, also known as a ham radio, is the use of the radio frequency spectrum for purposes of non-commercial exchange of messages, wireless experimentation, self-training, private recreation, radio sport, contesting, and emergency communications. Yeah, kind of like like um, truck drivers. Like a CB, okay. Kind of okay. like that, I think. I, I think you're right, yeah. So this hobby and skill of being able to be a ham radioer led Cheryl to volunteering for the American Red Cross in emergency operations. Interesting. So at this point now, five radio antennas are like erected in his yard. Oh, my gosh. And um, on top of that, neighbors comment on the piles of Playboy and Hustler magazine and paramilitary. Just lying around? Yeah, magazine. It's just accumulated inside and outside of the house. Neighbors were definitely used to the tidy mother. Uh-huh. Thus, they just determined Cheryl, without his mother present, just turned into a pack rack. Right. That's what they just chalked it up to. In 1978, Cheryl's mother did does pass away, and the house just falls into disrepair. And this is after only like one year of her not being in the house. That was quick. That same year, Cheryl loses his job at Tinker. He then started work at a local radio store as an installer, but he walked out after this ridiculous encounter. Let me tell you about it. When a customer had asked for assistance, Mm -hmm. an older employee nodded towards Cheryl and suggested that the young man over there would help. Apparently, Cheryl snapped and glared at this man. He's like, I have a given name and it's Patrick Cheryl. And with that, he just stormed out of the store and never returned. I wonder, you might talk about this later. I wonder if he had like some mental, like bipolar. Okay. Or there's going to be like so many instances of these examples that I'm going to give you that just you have to realize that there's got to be something going on mm-hmm. in there. The crazy thing is, Cheryl found his next job with the FAA. So if nothing comes away from the story, Cheryl had the ability of landing fantastic jobs. Right, yeah. He was super intelligent, and especially in the electronics area. And I think in the military at one time, it had mentioned that he trained in that area. Mm-hmm. He had a love for it. Yeah. And so he was able to get these really great jobs, but his inability. Work ethic. Yeah, his inability to, you know, take authority just it, you're going to you're going to see even more that he really struggles with it throughout his lifetime. Many coworkers thought Cheryl was former military, which he was, based on his meticulous appearance. Like his shoes were shined, his shirts were tucked in, his hair was always perfect. Which is interesting considering how his house was. How, yeah, right? I thought so too. Uh, but most people described his, him as lonely. And you're going to find this when you look at his life is kind of an element that also sticks around throughout most of his life. He just always seems very lonely. Uh 
He was rumored to have exposed himself to a female employee at one time. At work, his clothing seemed out of style. It was very meticulous, but it was almost like he dressed as if he was in the 50s. And this is the 70s. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, it had to be so outdated. Herb Cardwell said that Cheryl was a great ham radio person. So over the radio, he had this great personality and mm-hmm. people loved him. But it was difficult to have face-to-face person conversations right. with him. Um, after a particularly rude conversation where Cardwell tried to talk to Cheryl about their common hobby of ham radio, right. Cardwell just wrote him off and was like, all right, that's what you're going to be. Don't even worry about it. Interesting. That is until Cheryl just showed up at Cardwell's home one evening uninvited, which is super scary. And creepy. Um, Cardwell wouldn't let Cheryl in. Something inside him told him not to let him inside the house. Didn't let him inside, but they stayed on the porch for 30 minutes talking about ham radioing. And then he just left. Weird. And so in my mind, I was like, he just wanted a friend. And I just don't know that he knew how he to go about it. He sounds very socially awkward. Right, right. A hundred percent. A hundred percent. Or socially inept, maybe? Right. I think so. I think you're right. Cardwell was one of the FAA supervisors. Uh-huh. And so one of his jobs as the supervisor was investigating plane crashes. And when one particular crash was reported, Cheryl, like, asked Cardwell, are you going to go investigate it? Are you going to investigate it? And... Uh, Cardwell wasn't assigned to it and he said no I'm not going to and something in him specifically made him tell Cheryl to stay away from it oh interesting Cheryl ignored the orders and had to be sent away from the scene by like officials like FAA officials huh well at the FAA several reports of Cheryl sexually harassing women were reported now this was a different time Mm-hmm. I know that. But it still makes my blood boil. Okay. Because he was never really reprimanded for any of it. Mm. He never showed any weird sexual behavior towards men. I'm so glad that that was noted. Because right. he had a laundry list of it against women. Uh-huh. But let's make sure that we point out that he had nothing weird against men. He tended to just stare at women making them feel uncomfortable. He would rub up against them. But what finally got him That's let, a good way to get throat punched. Right. I'm just saying. Okay. But what finally got him fired from the FAA was when he cornered a woman in an elevator refusing to let her get off of the elevator. So it took him literally trapping a woman oh, before gosh. they saw the problem to let him go. Oh, man. Good grief. It makes you wonder how many, how many inc- incidences like that Oh, I happened were, before that. Oh, you he was brazen enough to think that he could do it. Well, obviously he thought he was going to get away with it. Exactly, cuz he'd gotten love. I mean, rubbing yourself up against somebody? No thing. No. It's a good way to get your Like <laughs> I hear you. Not have children ever. <laughs> In August of 1982, Cheryl joins the United States Air Force. This seemed to give Cheryl a sense of identity, filled his idle time up. I think when I looked at his case and I really dived into it, he was somebody that was struggling socially, mm-hmm. that had no identity for himself and needed somewhere or something to belong to. Mm-hmm. So he chose the Marine Corps. He was discharged. You know, he tried to get the Air National Guard. Then he gets into the Air Force. And then this next thing, he was a biking enthusiast. He barely drove a car everywhere. His preferred method of transportation was his bike. 
And so I think like and you're you talking said, about like cycling, like cycling. Yeah. yeah. And okay. I think how you said that he was socially inept mm-hmm. or awkward. He would. I don't think he knew how to join people. I don't want to speculate, but I have a question. Okay, you said his siblings were older. Mm-hmm. Like, how much? Do you know how much? I don't older know how they much were? older they were because it sounds like he. It doesn't sound like he was very close to them. Like, no, like I don't think that he was particularly close with him. In fact, in a lot of the reports that I said, they never mentioned the brother or sister. They would mention relatives would mm-hmm. say this about him. Relatives, and so. It even went on to say that he was a good uncle, so I don't know if they got nieces and nephews to talk, but mm-hmm. I think his brother and sister were probably a, quite a bit older, maybe. And so, because a lot of his tendencies, it sounds like he was almost raised like an only child. Right. Well, and that's why that's why I asked. Yeah. So it's hard. For, I don't. I don't know for sure. Yeah. I don't know for sure. Yeah, because it sounds like he, when you don't have, you know, well, okay, sorry. This is interesting, too, because you said in high school, like, he was in sports, Mm -hmm. and he seemed very athletic, and... So he had a purpose there, and he had a team. Yeah. And then... Yeah, I don't know. I'm sorry, I'm just trying to... No, it's... He's he's a hard... He's a hard... hard I guess I'm trying to psychoanalyze, which I shouldn't, because I don't have a degree. (laughs) (laughs) Um, He would informally join these biking tour groups... Usually uninvited. There was this annual free will tour in which members would pedal across the entire state of Oklahoma. Cheryl just showed up one day without the necessary provisions or the required sleeping bag that you were supposed to have. Uh-huh. Uh, one of the club officers provided him with a blanket. But at the overnight campsites, Cheryl would crawl under a t- trailer and use it as the shelter for him to sleep under. Hmm. So it was just kind of like he wanted to be a part of this group, but it's like he didn't know how to be a part of the group, Mm -hmm. you know? Yeah. At this time, he applied for the first time for a job at the United States Postal Service. He worked for a total of 89 days. Uh, Cheryl left after he was unable to qualify for the job. Uh, They had given him 90 days to demonstrate that he was capable and could pass other tests. He was unable to do that, Mm -hmm. and he left. Hmm. In 1984, he became a stockroom clerk for the Oklahoma chapter of the American Cancer Society. His sister did help him get this. She was one of the directors there and was able to help him get this job. That lasted eight months, but he left because he said he needed to make more money. Hmm. Um, At this time, Cheryl attended a training course to become a firearms instructor in the Air Force. He went to Lackland Air Force Base, which is near San Antonio, Texas. And according to an officer stationed there, the school is one of the finest available for instructor development courses in small arms training. So here he is training with guns again. Mm-hmm. Um, shaking his head in disbelief, the officer said he had observed Cheryl in the classroom and on the firing range and could not understand how he could have successfully completed it. So he thought there was something up with this guy. Interesting. Huh. Cheryl, he said, was non-productive in the classroom and would make a poor firearms instructor seeming smart enough but often acting slow. His demeanor, the officer had said, was such that people did not want to associate with him or help him. The rumors circulated that Cheryl was homosexual, but the officer saw nothing to substantiate it. In any case, he said he wouldn't want Cheryl to babysit any kids. Which, again, is 
it's so hindsight we- is twenty twenty, right? But it's people's weird factors are going off. Yeah, well, and it's just so weird because it's like everything keeps contradicting itself right. about him. Right? Like, oh, he's smart, but he's acting slow. Oh, well, he's you know, right? And you know, I remember know. this is nineteen eighty four, right? It is a big. Like, you know, homosexuality is a big taboo. Mm-hmm. I mean, would literally get you killed, mm-hmm. get you ostracized from society. And so there's that. But he never ex- he never claimed to be homosexual. He mm-hmm. never claimed to have any, you know, have any type of relationship like that or have any feelings that way. In fact, he was has a laundry list of harassment against women. Right. But something weird was off with him socially weird maybe maybe he was on the autism spectrum you know um but i think you're right the 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 way that he's portrayed and every his personalities conflict contradict each other yeah constantly yeah in differing reports and it's almost like he could knew how to act at times and then at other times he let his real self Uh show and that one was the scary one or the creepy one, maybe. Yeah. I don't know. It's just, it's just I don't know. crazy to try and think it through. Yeah. So, like I, like I pointed out before, you know, this was the 1980s. Also, I wanted to remind everyone from our episode over the abandoned hospitals, mental oh. health funding at this time was on the decline. Right. And that it was extremely taboo, especially with men. We did not talk about our feelings. Mm-hmm. But there were so many signs pointing in that direction. Mm-hmm. And I know, like I said before, like I just said, hindsight is twenty twenty. It really is. And looking at it now through our lenses, mm-hmm. it's so different. But I just, it's sometimes it's appalling when you see all the signs. Yeah. And still, like this tragedy still happened. Despite all of these personality quirks, Cheryl was an excellent shot. Which is chilling when you know what he does. Yeah. It's chilling. Absolutely. He was able to develop a lasting friendship with a man named Vincent Stubbs. Vincent Stubbs was assigned to the quarters in the same barracks as Cheryl and 40 other class members during this um, nine-week instructional training course. Uh He became one of the few people to befriend Cheryl. The two men ate their meals together and toured San Antonio during um, their off-duty hours. They would later keep in touch by mail. Stubbs described his 42-year-old buddy as an overweight bachelor who always expressed concern that he was going nowhere. So there you kind of see like he he felt out of place Mm -hmm. somehow. Um, He also said that um, his main interest in life were guns, ham radio, and bicycling. Uh, Cheryl, he said, was very intelligent, understood electronics, and was the most precise person he'd ever known. This is still Stubbs talking. Mm -hmm. During um, a rigorous training, Stubbs said that they were taught how to handle and shoot almost every kind of weapon. Cheryl was an excellent shot whose favorite handgun was a forty-five automatic. And for some reason, Stubbs recalls this, um, Cheryl disliked one of the female instructors. So here we go. Female instructors and took every opportunity to give her a hard time. Mm. He's probably lucky he didn't get punched in the throat. (sighs) Yeah. Cheryl was known just to be this upstanding kind of guy um, because, and I am somebody who often reads the Bible, Mm -hmm. but he's doing all this gross stuff. 
Mm-hmm. And they're like, oh, but he's an upstanding guy because he reads the Bible every night before he goes to bed. I have so many thoughts on that. Right. <laughs> I mean, back home, his neighbors were like, he's hard to get along with. They they all they all thought he was just nosy. Um, for like instance, uh, one of his neighbors, she had some kids that were at her door, like at her door trying to sell candy. And they were there at her entryway making, you know, their pitch or whatever. And Cheryl, he just decides to walk himself up the street and ask what they were saying. She, this girl, this this boss babe right here, looked at him and said, none of your business. <laughs> he comes back and says, do you know who I am? And she goes, yes, I know who you are. Now get off my property and get away from my house. Cheryl, this woman her name was Mrs. Eastman. She says that Cheryl just stared intensely at her, but backed away into the street when when she stepped off her porch and started walking in his direction. Oh. So she was gonna she was gonna give him what I think every woman at this point in the podcast probably wanted to do. Right. Um and then many of the neighbors observed Cheryl often walking late at night uh-huh. down the street, pacing, muttering staring into houses that didn't have window coverings. Creepy. Um, That's so creepy. He was often seen approaching the homes to get a better look of what was going on inside. Uh, there were several police complaints made, yet guess what? Nothing happened. Nothing happened. He was never arrested. Um, it was reported that after, I don't know, numerous run-ins with the police, Cheryl invested in a telescope to continue his peeping. Um, But everyone said he was never violent, but he had a hard stare that frightened many. He wasn't violent, but he'd go creep in people's windows like a weirdo. Mm -hmm. Cheryl was a dog guy, which I'm going to later contradict the story, I'm sure, but he was a dog guy. He owned a pit bull that he kept mostly inside. One day it escaped and attacked a small terrier. The terrier's owner struggled to get the dogs apart and ended up kicking Cheryl's pit bull. But this time, Cheryl witnessed the whole thing. Wasn't trying to help separate the dogs. He witnessed the other owner kick his dog and just went into a rage, yelling and screaming at the other dog's owner. And again, I'm telling you right now, here, this is signs of him being unhinged at times. Mm -hmm. Something going on. Mm -hmm. Um, Then another time in the neighborhood, there was this girl that he had really pined over in high school um, they never dated, but she ended up moving back to Oklahoma City and moving into his onto his street with her husband, with her family. What are the odds of that? Right, exactly. Right after she moved in, she started receiving these phone calls, and it was the obscene for the heavy breathing. <sighs> I was going to ask, was there the heavy breathing? Yeah, the heavy breathing. Well, then after a few of those phone calls, he started to say, like, really inappropriate, inappropriate things. obscene oh. things. But guess what? She recognized his voice. And literally said, again, here's another total boss babe here. Pat, stop calling. And he did. So when he's confronted with a strong woman, mm-hmm. he does back down. Or these two instances he did, yeah. at least. Um, the neighbors, to sum it up, they really thought Cheryl was just a nuisance. They thought he was an utter nuisance. Children called him crazy Pat. And get, get this story. This is one of the stories that I just... I don't know. You know, again, I'm looking at it through the behind the after the fact. So yeah. these kids would call him crazy Pat because anytime 
that kids were grouped in the neighborhood. Like, I mean, my own kids got their own bicycle gang in our neighborhood, mm-hmm. you know? So their bicycle game might be, like, stopped at a corner, you know, laughing, giggling, being kids or whatever. He would go berserk on them and start yelling at them or go to their parents and tell them that their kids are, like, laughing and pointing and making fun of him. He had this paranoia about him that everybody was out to get him. I wonder where that came from. I don't. I wonder if it was just something that was, like... It just makes you wonder if, like, something had happened in his past or... I feel like at one point they had mentioned, like, at high in high school he may have had, like, a little bit of a bullying incident that may have happened. But in most reports, I mean, a lot... They had... They interviewed a lot of his teachers. Yeah. And they were all like, he was a good kid. Mm-hmm. And so it was just kind of... I wonder if part of it, too, is he's just so lonely and he felt so awkward and outside that... He always just assumed that people were making fun of him because he couldn't develop a relationship appropriately. Yeah. Well, he seemed like like he was ostracized. Yes. But, I mean, part of that seems like it was his doing. Right, right. As well. Right. But I, you know, it just goes to show how important mental health is. Right, I think so. And maybe how... I don't want to blame anybody else for being mm-hmm. unkind to him because, of course, they're not going to report on the people who are unkind to him. Mm-hmm. But I think it's also important to remind ourselves that we have to be kind. Right. Because you don't know what other people are going through. Right. Um, it's, but It's all about the you know, golden rule. You treat people the way you want to be Right. <laughs> and here, but here he is. Like, kids can't even be giggling or laughing in his vicinity or else he's going to, like, go berserk. I mean, how scary is that? I don't know. He... He's definitely a puzzle that will never be able to be pieced together. Right. In October of 1984, Cheryl's time with the United States Air Force comes to an end. Within days of this happening, he telephoned um, the woman. Remember when he was trying to get on with the Air National Guard and that mm-hmm. one woman didn't want to be left alone with him, that lady? Right, yeah. He telephones her. Um, and... Um, he was asking her for her advice about re-enlisting. She didn't want to, to encourage him. To the National him. Guard? Yeah, to the National Guard. She didn't want to encourage him, but she did end up suggesting the appropriate officials that he could contact. Uh, shortly after that, an officer approached her to solicit her opinion about so- accepting Cheryl. She answered, <laughs> you can do what you want to, but you know, I wouldn't accept him. Do what you think is best. Guess what? What? The officer took a chance, and Cheryl became a member of the 137th Squadron as a combat arms instructor with the rank of sergeant. I don't even know what to think mm. about that right now. It just right now, it just goes to tell you how much they valued females. Yeah. Cheryl was invited to try out for the Air National Guard's markmanship team. Um, he had a great reputation. He was thoughtful and courteous. In April of 1985, he again applied with the Postal Service again. I just, it baffles me how back and forth he goes. He was kind and courteous, and then he's a crazy coot. Like, right, right. I, it's it's just baffling. It's, it's. I mean, it's exhausting that his personalities could keep up. I mean, maybe he did have multiple personalities. Maybe, maybe. that's what, what the deal was. This time, Cheryl passes the written exam and the physical exam 
At that time, there was no psychology exam given. There is one now. I researched it up because I was like, is that normal? Uh, my research does show that there are several exams that someone does have to pass mm-hmm. in order to work for the Postal Service. And a psychological exam is part of that process. Mm-hmm. I don't know that it was in 1985. Um, he started to work part-time. Now, part-time in the post office isn't what it sounds like. The classification means simply that the employee works for an hourly wage, not an annual salary, and is not guaranteed certain working hours. Because of the high volume of mail funneling through the Edmond facility, which employed at the time about 100 people, Cheryl was able to put in the normal 40 hours each week mm-hmm. with some overtime. So he earned approximately $13,000 in his first year, and I did not see how much that would be worth today. Mm-hmm. But, a pr- I mean, that's probably a good a good. For a single guy, that's probably good living. Yeah. Uh, Worker skills were adequate, yet his social skills were awful. He struggled with relationships with coworkers, especially his superiors. And just these problems at this point, you're going to see they just start really fester. Piling fester, up. Fester, pile stuff. up, pile up, and we know how it's going to end. Yeah. In August of 1985, while on a two-week active duty tour with the Air National Guard, Cheryl met back up with his friend Vincent Stubbs, that guy back from San Antonio. Mm -hmm. They hung out. Uh, Stubbs invited Cheryl to family dinners at his home. And Stubbs made made this remark that Cheryl seemed super grateful, even stating that no one had ever done that for him before. Mm, That's sad. And it just, like, it makes, it breaks your heart Mm -hmm. for the person that he could have been. Right. Or the person that maybe he wanted to be. Because I think that he really truly did want that kind of relationship with people. It, he just couldn't or didn't know how to do it. Mm-hmm. I don't know. Um, Stubbs did say that Cheryl talked a lot about his uh, USPS job. He seemed to be proud of it, but expressed how unhappy he was with how the people treated him while he was there. Oh. Uh, back when he returned to Edmond, things did not improve. In October of 1985, he gets suspended for seven days. Um, Bill Bland, who was the supervisor of mails and delivery, signed a letter which was handed to Cheryl informing him that he was suspended for seven calendar days. And the reason was stated as being failure to discharge your assigned duties conscientiously mm-hmm. and effectively. And here I've got like a portion of the letter to read. Okay. On September 19th, 1985, you did fail to protect mail entrusted to your care as evidenced by the fact you left two trays of mail and three parcel post items unattended overnight at 601 Vista Lane. Your failure to discharge your assigned duties conscientiously and effectively resulted in a one-day delay in delivery of approximately 500 pieces of mail which had been entrusted to your care. Mm. That's a lot of mail. It is a lot of mail. In March of 1986, he's suspended again, but for 14 days. And I have part of that letter. On March 31st, 1986, you acted in a very unprofessional manner by by telling a customer that you did not need her help in finding the apartment mailboxes and did not care if the tenants received mail or not. The customer reported this incident stated that you were very rude to her, adding that she was only trying to help you find your way around the complex. You again acted in this manner. The customer reported by phone and by customer complaint form that you sprayed his dog with dog spray. The dog was and is behind a five-foot fence with a locked gate. 
when questioned about the incident, you admitted that you have walked past him many times in the past and was fully aware of the dog's presence behind the fence. You also stated that you had just received a new can of dog spray and was not sure it would work, but decided to use it on this dog anyway. You also asked the customer when questioned by him about the incident if he wanted his mail delivered or not. This type of service seems consistent with your past performance evidenced by a suspension given to you on October 2nd, 1985, and several discussions and a letter of warning. This type of behavior will not and cannot be tolerated. Mm. So let's go back to that dog spraying. Yeah. Mailmen do carry, mailmen that walk. Yeah. Like in the town that I live in, mailmen do not walk. Right. In it, um, the town that I grew up in, mailmen did not walk. Um, but I know that a lot of the older communities, like in Oklahoma City, they do, like mailmen still walk. My dad worked as a mailman for a little while um, my, after the pandemic. When my um, dad's parents, when my grandma and grandpa lived in Tulsa, their mailman walked. Yeah. And I think it's a lot of those older homes because the mailboxes are on the houses and not right. at the street where they are today. Right. So I'm assuming that he was a, obviously was a walker. And they do carry dog mace because... We've all seen the cartoons. Dogs will chase them. Cheryl did admit that he sprayed the dog with the mace. But he had said that the... And he even admitted that the dog didn't actually attack him. It just barked and growled. So he went to spray the dog initially with the mace. And that's when he discovered that his mace bottle did not work. So he left, picked up a new bottle of mace. And the next day, with new can in hand, approached the dog and sprayed it. All... In witness of the owner. Oh, my gosh. And I can tell you, if I witness somebody mace my dog, again, with the throat punching would ensue. Well, especially when it's un... Unprovoked. Yes. Either that or I, I go was get like, my what? can of mace. I'm going to spray like, you what, in the what's face. What's the word I'm looking for? Yeah. yeah. Unprovoked. All right. At this point, Cheryl truly believed and even reported to several friends that the supervisors were looking at every single minor infraction just as a way to get rid of him. He claimed that he was being timed on his roots when others, specifically women, were not ever timed. I'm rolling my eyes so hard right now. (laughs) To all, it seemed, Cheryl never showed any serious mood swings or changes. They quoted him as being middle of the road when it came to moods. But many did admit that you never did really know what was going on in his head. Uh, Well, that's obvious. Uh, Do you really know what's going on in anyone's head? I mean, really, no. Many ca- mail carriers would stop by and visit. So this, okay, sorry, let me back up. This is one of those instances where you see a whole different side of him now. Mm-hmm. So here in Edmond, there's this. Uh, there was this nursing home. I don't know if it's still there, but it's called the Christian Nursing Home. And several of the mail carriers would stop by, and they'd get a glass of lemonade or eat lunch with them, and just visit with the residents and the staff there. Mm-hmm. Well, Cheryl was one of these that often did it, and the people there they enjoyed his company. And so I think again he was lonely, mm-hmm. and he was able to forge that type of relationship mm-hmm. with people. And so it just baffles me that there were others that he he just wasn't it's able like, to do it. It's like people his own age or younger, he couldn't make that connection. Right. But like the right. older people, and I wonder if it has to do. You know, like, um, it seems like he was with his mom for, like, when, you know, obviously she that makes sense. had Alzheimer's and was in a nursing home. But I don't know. I don't. That's interesting. Yeah. I don't know. 
On April 5th of 1986, Cheryl checks out a Colt 45 service pistol from his Air National Guard unit. Now, this is common practice, um, especially if they were coming up for a marksman test. Mm-hmm. He, during this training, he agreed to and stated that he understood how to properly store and house the pistol at home. So I'm assuming that must include something like being locked up, away from mm-hmm. kids, out, not, not out in the open, that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. Only used for practice, that you know, that kind of stuff. Yeah. In July of 86, Cheryl is shipped to England for his two-week duty training. He told many that he was being hassled by his supervisors at the post office for this. Cheryl asked for documents that proved where and why he was going to England. Um, he said that the post office was demanding him, but his superiors and the National Guard, like, assured him, we're going to take care of it. They can't do anything to you about this. Right. And being a child whose father was in the military and had to spend two weeks every summer, his work had to understand that. I mean, It's in like fact, jury duty. Exactly. Your work has to in let fact, you off for when it. When my dad came back, my dad was in the Gulf War. When he mm-hmm. came back, his work tried to – like, not hire him back. And my dad's, like, superior officers came in and were like, you don't have a choice. Yeah. So, I mean, I definitely could see where they could be kind of, but it's like, y'all work well, for the I government, mean, the same government. I was going to say, they work for right. the government, so I, I don't see that right. being a... And the post office tends to, you know, like, to hire veterans. Yeah. Because they already kind of in the system and understand the way things are. Right. So it's, I don't know. While in England, no one... No one wanted to board with Cheryl. And it's one of those times where you're like, God, now I feel sorry for him again. This really disappointed him because he ended up getting assigned a single room on base when everybody else had, they were assigned off base with roommates. Some of them even got to house with other people off base. And it really, this really upset him a lot. But everybody was like, well, he seemed pleasant and he smiled a lot. And so that's really scary to me that he felt – he told people he felt one way, but then he acted a different way. Yeah. Oh, it gives me chills. Yeah. Uh, when he returned to Oklahoma, Cheryl's relatives said that Cheryl was disappointed about his time in England. Quote, he expressed disappointment in the trip, calling it unsuccessful and placing blame on his commanding officer. He said the CO had them doing menial, trivial tasks and that he restricted their free time of sightseeing off base. Cheryl seemed to, at first, to enjoy his guard involvement, the relative said, especially his participation in the marksmanship team. In recent months, though, his interest appeared to diminish, and he stopped talking about the team members and competition. More often, he spoke of his problems at the post office, focusing often on two supervisors who he thought were trying to get rid of him. He'd been criticized for misdelivered mail, but rationalized that it wasn't his fault that the mail hadn't been properly pre-sorted. Those letters indicate that wasn't true. Mm -hmm. According to the relative, Cheryl said that the only one of his customers complained about his deliveries, a woman in a mobile home park who was hostile toward him for unknown reasons. Maybe he maced her dog. I don't know. (sighs) His boss, he complained, was going overboard in metting out disciplinary actions. Cheryl said he wanted to transfer to another job with the Postal Service, perhaps to the maintenance crew or something more technical than delivering mail. And oh, if only that would have happened. Did he put in for a transfer? I don't is ever I don't it was never reported that he did. Yeah. Hmm. So after this, Cheryl then checks out another pistol, a Remington 45 semi-automatic. He did this the weekend before he was set to practice with the marksmanship team. 
He even picked up the allotted 200 rounds that he was supposed to practice with. August 19th, 1986. One of the employees there at the post office glanced up from her work and could see through the glass panel of the supervisor's office that there was another kind of heat, not the kind that was outside because it was August Mm -hmm. in Oklahoma, was shooting up to dangerous levels. Mm. She was quoted as saying, quote, I saw one of our uniformed mail carriers, Pat Sherrill, with supervisors Rick Esser and Bill Bland. Although I could not hear, it was obvious that Pat Sherrill was being reprimanded. I could see the look on his face, which struck me as being very strange eerie end quote mm. oh that gave me chills and this was happening by 1 p.m mm. the afternoon of the 19th a third co-worker would recall a conversation she had with cheryl a week earlier on august 12th she was quoted as saying quote i was alone with patrick in the break room he was angry at management over some annual leave he had to account for he said bland didn't think he cheryl mm-hmm. was much to worry about but he'd be sorry I said we all know he, Pat, had been having trouble with management. He said, this is Cheryl, mm-hmm. they'll be sorry and everyone would know. Mm. End quote. That's not ominous at all. Right. August 20th, 1986. 7 a.m. Cheryl walks into the post office with his uniform on, concealing three pistols with ammunition in his mail carrier's bag. Mm. He opened fire first on Richard Esser one of his supervisors, then postman Mike Rockney. Cheryl then proceeded to chase down three other employees, mortally shooting one in the back. He bolted several doors, sought out those hiding in cubicles and under tables. He shot three employees dead after he found them hiding at a station and then found another five at a neighboring station and killed them. One employee escaped out the front door while hearing her co-workers screams and being shot to death. Another was able to successfully hide in the stamp vault, while another two hid in a broom closet. Oh, how awful. Police responded quickly, however, spent 45 minutes outside trying to communicate with Cheryl. At 8.45 a.m., Edmund Swat stormed the post office. They quickly found Cheryl dead from a self-inflicted gunshot wound to the head. In the end, a total of 14 dead victims and six injured. Hmm. Our victims were Patricia Ann Chambers, 41, another part-time clerk, Judy Stevens-Denny, 41, a part-time clerk, Richard C. Esser, Jr., 38, supervisor, Patricia A. Gabbard, 47, clerk, Jonah Gregert Hamilton, 30, clerk, Patty Jean Husband, 48, supervisor, Betty Ann Jared, 34, clerk, and William F. Miller, 30, Role carrier. Hmm. The 1986 Edmond incident was the first of several highly publicized postal shootings. At the time, it was the third worst mass shooting in U.S. history. Oh my gosh. It seems that it has set a chain of events of postal shootings after this, including 1991 in Ridgewood, New Jersey, 1991 Royal, Royal Oak, Michigan. 1993, actually May 6th, 1993, was in Dearborn, Michigan. And then May 6th of 1993, the exact same day, in Dana Point, California. Wow. 1995, Montclair, New Jersey. 1997, Milwaukee, Wisconsin. And 2006, Goleta, California. Oh, wow. This event is what coined the phrase, going postal. Oh, my gosh. It is estimated that the total attack lasted between 15 and 20 minutes long. 
Many people, in fact, played dead to get him to overlook them. I don't blame them. Cheryl was 44 at the time of this. In fact, there was another quote that I think I forgot to include on here. On August 19th, he came in contact with another co-worker, and I don't know if it was the same one that I'd spoken to him before, mm-hmm. but he had asked her, do you plan on coming to work tomorrow? And she was like, well, yeah, of course. And he literally told her, I want it if I were you. I think I remember hearing that. Yeah. So this is kind of one of those kooky facts, and I know because we're known for our kooky and spooky. Uh-huh. Uh, before the rampage, Cheryl purchased cinnamon rolls at a nearby convenience store. He had cooked eggs that morning for breakfast. There was water along with those cinnamon rolls were found in his car. So it is speculated that he might not have considered, he may have not thought about um, unaliving himself, I guess we could say, or, you know, shooting himself um, at the time. Like maybe he intended to leave and then decided that he wasn't going to get out of there. Now, we're looking at this through the lens of 2023. Mm Mm-hmm. And when you see this on paper, Mm -hmm. that they tried to contact him for 45 minutes outside, how many of you were a bit outraged? It took 90 minutes for SWAT to enter the building after the first calls were made. Remember, as of 2023, that is unacceptable to us. Mm -hmm. But I want everybody to remember, there was no precedent at the time for this type of event. The police did what they knew Mm -hmm. to do. And what at the time they thought was appropriate. Yes, that would not fly today. Yeah. Obviously. They were not used to it like we are today. And so I don't want anybody to think that the police were not doing their job. Yeah. They were doing the job that that was the job in 1986. That Mm -hmm. wasn't the job they did in 2023. In the end, many signs I think were there. Cheryl was first and foremost starved of human connection and friendship. Mm -hmm. I really think he was unhappy. He was angry at the life that he had been given. His family said he was a good uncle though. Well, part of me kind of thinks, I don't think he would have been happy in any situation. I think you're right. I think you're right. But I don't know. So many people are like, Oh, he never showed any violent tendencies. And I have to disagree with that. He had harassment against women. Mm-hmm. He showed that violent tendency towards children. He yelled at a person who was trying to save his dog from the attack of Cheryl's dog. Right. He maced a dog for barking at him. Mm-hmm. Are those not violent tendencies? I feel like those are. I, I mean, they're to me. Um, he did stare a lot. Every single person would claim that he stared a lot. And I, part of me is like, That's, that doesn't make a killer staring Mm -hmm. but that also makes you think Kate like socially he's missing a cue there well that and you said he had a lot of people said he had this intense stare right well intense can mean multiple things right I mean how do you know that intense wasn't like um like he was trying to intimidate you right did did it look like he was angry did it look like he was like off in space did it look like he was like Right. Like looking at you like you had something smeared across your face, you know? So, and that's never reported on either, Mm -hmm. really. It wasn't covered after this event that Cheryl was treated 42 times between November of 1985 and August of 1986 at a local Edmund chiropractor for neck and back pain associated with carrying mail. So now he's in constant pain. Could that have been a contributing factor? Well, I 
the thing though is too is if it sounded like he had an opportunity to put in for a transfer to the to the more maintenance right and it sounded like he kind of wanted to or he had the intention to and if it was that bad why wouldn't you right why wouldn't you talk to somebody about that right most people that he confided in all agreed that he constantly complained about his postal job so to end honestly I, I, you know, here I am being an armchair psychiatrist. I'm not, I'm not a doctor. Right. But I think that this is a classic case of some sort of undiagnosed mental illness. I think so too. And it's just so unfortunate that in that time, like throughout his whole life, it was just so considered taboo. It is right. just now starting to be one of those things where, I know. where people aren't ashamed of it. Right. Or not as much anyway. Right. You know what I mean? Yeah. And un- unfortunately... Uh, you know, and I just I feel people, like so many things could have been avoided. Exactly. I see people today going, well, that's rich of you with everything we know in 2023 for you to diagnose him as having a mental illness. Well, if we don't learn, this is, this is a classic case of what happens when they are undiagnosed. This is what mm-hmm. could happen. Well, and and there was rumor something ran in, you know, his family. Yeah. History. Right. Exactly. So, so you know, I just want to say this, too, that if you are suffering from mental health, please seek help. Um, it, guys, this is 2023. It's not anything to be embarrassed about or ashamed of. We all, everyone could use therapy oh, yeah. at some point. All of us. Mm-hmm. I did include some stuff. Um, the National Mental Health Hotline is 866-903-3787. The National Alliance of Mental Health Illness, their hotline is 800-950-6264. You can dial 988 in Oklahoma to talk to someone directly. And I think most states, if you are having an emergency mental health crisis, like you're going to harm yourself, you're mm-hmm. going to harm someone else, you can dial that 988 and you can talk to someone instantly. Mm-hmm. And you're not talking to a machine, you're talking to somebody. Like you may yeah. have one question, like what language do you speak? Yeah. And then, of course, there is the Oklahoma-specific um, it's the um, Mental Health Association of Oklahoma. You can contact them anytime. They do have time um, Monday through Friday from 8.30 to 5 p.m. You can con- If you're in the Tulsa area, you can contact them at 918-585-1213. If you're in the Oklahoma City area, you can contact them at 405-943-3700. If you're not in either one of those areas, just pick one and mm-hmm. call them. Mm-hmm. Please, there's a form that you can also fill out at mhaok.org. They will send you stuff. They will have people reach out to you. Um, I will attach all of this stuff in the show notes. But it's one, this is one of those classic cases that when we look back on it in our current time, we see that there was a man with mental health issues Mm -hmm. that did not get help. And he took the lives of 14 innocent people, mm-hmm. 14 family members. Right. And which they are the real, they are the victims. Their family is the victims. They're the ones that we need to focus on. But for their sake, we need to ensure that others that are having mental health crisis do not repeat this. Right. And, and so please, if you're having issues, please, please, please seek out help. Yeah. And Let's not forget, it, it doesn't cost anything to be kind to people. No, of course. And, You're right. You're right. You know, you don't have to like them, but you can be nice. You can still be yes, nice. Yes, exactly. And Your creep factor could be going off. And I'm not saying you like 
don't invite them in or right, give them but, a ride or get in, if your creep factor is going off they don't do that but don't it doesn't it, it belittle them right it's not anything to you to be nice to somebody yes and exactly you never know what your words can do to someone right because you know they say sticks and stones can break my bones but words will never hurt me that's not true it's not true and words can be very hurtful and so and in the end they just, could hurt they could hurt the other person they could hurt mm-hmm. you so you just have to be mindful so, of other people and right. their feelings and be considerate and you know. exactly you I'm never sorry, know I'm, what I'm sorry other for the heavy episode through. well i mean but, it's a true crime one. <laughs> true crime one. And, you know, I always bring it. So, um, but, and it's only a one-parter. Yeah. So. so that story, I mean, that was a pretty cut and dry case. Mm-hmm. So, um, but I think it's important that we remind ourselves. I was listening to other podcasts or looking around and nobody's covered it in a while. Mm-hmm. So it's always good to remember um, the victims because their anniversary is coming up of the ordeal and we need to remember them and to remember why it is important mm-hmm. for us to get our mental health issues taken care of or those of our loved ones taken care of. And it doesn't cost you anything. Like you said, to be kind, it doesn't cost you anything to ask somebody if they're okay. Right. And it's, guys, it's okay to not be okay. It, exactly. It's okay it's, to not be okay. It's okay not to be okay. All right. For sure. And I know there's lots of online things that you can do. Um, betterhelp.com. Mm-hmm. You can go there and have you don't even have to meet the people and you don't even have to be face to face with them. Right. So there's so many avenues for out real. there now. So just do it. Just Oop, do it. I'm knocking things over. <laughs> so I hope the, uh, the, uh, turtle terrarium didn't, um, bother anybody, <laughs> bother anybody too badly. Uh, it will be gone in August. So, uh, when season, bear with us, <laughs> when season two starts, it will no longer be, um, <laughs> um, going. We have decided that we will end, Season one in July, we're going to take off the month of August and then come back at you for season two in September. But guess what? You get us all summer. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Well, there's a lot of things going on in in August and you'll be starting back with school. And so it's just kind of, I think we just kind of need that break a little bit. Yeah. Yeah. It's always nice to take a week off to like just regroup ourselves. And of course it was late because... You know, I got my there's, eyes, got my eyes checked, and they were all messed. And they were all messed up yesterday. Yeah. There's been a lot going on lately, recently. So, yeah. so, but yeah, but I've missed you. I've missed you too, and I've missed talking with our fans. Yeah. So, for sure. um, we've got yeah. some fun stuff planned though too. Yeah. Oh, maybe we should tell them where they can find us. If you are on Facebook, you can find us at Curious Cousins OK Podcast. If you're on Instagram, you can find us at Curious Cousins OK. On Twitter, at Curious Cousins OK. And Cousins is spelled C-U-Z-N. You can also reach us on Gmail at CuriousCousinsOK at gmail.com. Send us an email. Any thoughts or concerns or listener ideas or show ideas or tales or you just want to say hi, email us. We'll email you back, I promise. We are also located on all major podcasting uh, streaming services such as Apple, Spotify, Stitcher, iHeartRadio, and Amazon. Um, Please rate and review and follow us if you'd be so kind. If you really want to support us, you can join our Patreon at Curious Cousins OK. We also have subscriptions available on both Apple and Amazon, and they will give you ad-free content. And additional content too as it starts to come out because it's summertime and we're going to start really amping up our additional content. Yeah, we've got plans. Yes. <laughs> so, Jess, 
Tell them what to keep it. Keep it kooky and spooky. Bye. Bye.